Okay, family, um, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a get a little bit transparent today. You know, I like being transparent, kind of talking about, um, you know, my childhood and how I was raised. So by a show of hands here, how many people here have big brothers? Okay. How about big sisters? Okay. How about if you're the only child? Okay. All right. Now, I had a big brother. And my big brother, I don't know about y'all's big brother, but my big brother, I mean, he was my best friend. I mean, he was my best friend at, at all certain times. But at other times, he could be my worst enemy. You know what I mean? Like, my big brother could push my buttons like nobody else could. I mean, I could be cool with them one moment and then just be, you know, arguing, fighting over nothing. And the next 10 minutes, we'd be over it like if nothing happened. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking Y'all tracking along with what I'm saying? And this is what I'm trying to get to today. My big brother, because I loved him, I was able to overlook the way he offended me. I mean, he, he did some pretty messed up stuff to me. I mean, there was one time he made me eat dog food, you know, and it did not taste like bacon at all. It tasted horrible. And I, and I say it's not to embarrass him because he might watch this one day, but I say it not to embarrass him. I say it because, man, like, like, like growing up, we laugh about things like that now, you know? And man, and secretly in my heart, I always looked up to my brother. Man, I always saw my brother as my hero. And honestly, I don't know, I don't know how it would take it the day the Lord takes him. Because I love my brother. I mean, I love my brother. That compassion that I have for him, the older I've gotten, man, the more I realize, man, life is too short to hold on to grudges, to hold unforgiveness to people. Because all it does is just create a cancer in our hearts. And so today we're going to be looking at is Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to see how the early church went through conflict. And how they dealt with conflict as a family. So we're going to be Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Brother, can you get that back door, please? It's open. Thank you. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, those are Greek Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we would devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, 
and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is what we're seeing. I'm going to break this down. These first seven verses has to do with the early church going through conflicts. There's a Greek Jews who are bringing a complaint that their widows are being neglected. There's a problem. There's a conflict. And notice how they address the issue. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. They called together every single follower, every disciple of Jesus to come together for this issue. There was a complaint. There was an issue. And you know how it was addressed? Directly. Because this is what we're seeing in the book of Acts, family. We're seeing how the early church grew. Because, see, what we need to understand in this text is this, is that persecutions happen, sufferings happen, sin has happened in the church because of Ananias and Sapphira sinning against God. And through those brokenness, through that suffering, through that pain, still, the word of God continues to increase People are still coming to the faith because something about conflicts, what it brings out, it brings out what's under the rug. It brings out the truth. And so they deal with it head on. And this is what we're going to see. If you're taking notes, this would be our first point. In community with fellow believers, we are going to experience conflicts. Let me say that again. We're going to offend each other. I promise you. There will be something about me that offends you. I offend a lot of people. I don't do amen. See, Brother Marshall agrees. And I say that because you know why? I don't do it intentionally. It's not, it's not my heart. If you spend time with me, you will know that I try to be as transparent as possible and I try to make much of Jesus and, and talk about my weaknesses because I am not perfect. My family will tell you I'm not perfect. But conflict will happen. But see, just how these brothers dealt with conflict, they were able to deal with it because at the heart of it, they knew that they had been bought with a price, that they were Jesus's that they were not their own. And they were to able to overlook the offenses. And they just don't leave it there. They create a solution. They deal with the conflict. They create a solution. And this is a solution. Watch out. Look at this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, as I was reading this text, I was kind of confused because they're talking about serving tables and that they want the word of God. They want to teach the word of God. And now they're appointing men. But this is what I missed when I first read this. Notice that the type of men they select for the task are not just everyday men, but they're men full of spirit, full of wisdom. Because when we're chosen to do the work of the Lord, we're called to do it. With a cheerful heart. We're doing it unto the Lord. 
And at the end of the day, family, when conflict happens, we need to be reminded that we too were at once with conflict with God. See, we easily forget that. We easily forget that we were once enemies of God. Everybody who has not been transformed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ is an enemy of God. They remain under wrath. But when God does a work in our hearts, man, and we believe by faith that Jesus died for our sins and he gives us hope. And we could be reminded when we're in conflict with another brother, when I offend you or you offend somebody, you could be reminded, man, you know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. That I'm, I'm, I'm no better than he is. And we should be able to look overlook those offenses. But that's not what we want to do, right? We want to hold a record of wrongs. You know, we'd be like, hey, bro, I forgive you. Yeah, yeah, we good. But the moment something happens, you'd be like, okay, January 5th, 2012, I remember you did this to me. And then on Christmas, man, everybody knows what you did to Juan. Everybody knows what you did to him. That's messed up. They hold a record of wrongs. When conflict happens, family, with another brother or sister, because I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be real with y'all. As I've been through the residency program, I've traveled to different churches, and the number one thing I hear and see is people being hurt by the church. They get so hurt by the church, and I, and I was one of those people. And at the end of the day, this is what I see. I hear people's stories of how they were offended, I hear the brokenness in the story, and I hear is that it's all about them, because that's what my story is about, how they offended me. Look what they did to me. And it was about me and I and I and me. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but it sounded good. At the end of the day, that's the same song we hear in the church. When people need to understand, brothers and sisters need to understand that Jesus died for his bride. This is what he rose again from the grave for, that the church of Christ would go out and disciples would be made. He died for this church. He rose again for this church. And he lives now for this church. Can I get an amen for that? Man, because he's alive, man. So at the end of the day, when we see conflict happening in churches with brothers and sisters, I want you to do three different things. Number one, I want you to deal with the issue. Don't be afraid to go talk to the person that's offended you. And actually, Jesus gives us an example in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, exactly how to do this. But I want you to go and deal with the issue of conflict in a gospel manner, being reminded that they need Jesus just like you need Jesus. That's your brother and sister. Jesus died for that brother and, or sister like he died for you. You are no better. You are not above. Everybody's equal. We're all children of God when we're brought in by God. We're not all born as children of God. But at the end of the day, don't be afraid to talk to that person when you're dealing with conflict. 
And I know some people don't like talking directly, so what I would encourage is texting, writing a letter, or even an email. And I learned this in my marriage because my wife is an introvert. And the way she would communicate better a lot of times was through messages. And it took me a long time to understand the way she is. But now we're able to understand each other, and I'm able to communicate to her in a way that she can understand. But I say that so your heart would be set free. Man, we hold on to unforgiveness because of conflict, and it's just like a cancer, man. It, it runs wild in our hearts. And the moment we see that person, all sorts of negative stuff comes up about that person. And all we can think about is how much we hate that person. We don't want to see that person. We don't want to talk to that person. Why are you here? Why are you talking to me? Why are you looking at me? Why are you sitting with me? Why are you calling me? Right? Or am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Right? Thank you, Brother Juan. You're the only brother in here that knows what I'm talking about. Now watch this, family. We have to be reminded, point number two, that we're all born as sinners. Every one of us is born as sinners. And when God transforms our heart to being born again, then we're truly able to learn to have forgiveness and compassion upon people. But being reminded that as Jesus said on the cross to the people that were crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He forgave them in the midst of being crucified. We, too, are called to forgive our enemies. And I've had to do that, and that's really hard to do. And I would tell you, it took me years, honestly, to be able to forgive an enemy. But it's possible. And the reason why it's possible, it's not under our own strength. It's because the gospel tells us that we are no better than they, that we're all equal. But what separates us is that we, by faith, have chosen to believe in Christ, and he's done a work in us. And we realize that he's done a work in our lives, and we want to just go ahead and forgive people who offend us because it's not easy. If y'all were here last week, I talked about the guy who was sticking his finger in front of my face, in front of my kids, and that really will push my buttons last week. You're not the movie theaters. You know, y'all can listen to last week's sermon and hear more about that. And there, he was doing it to my kids. He was, you know... You know, it, it was, man, it was one of the moments where I truly needed Jesus to come down and, and rescue me, you know. And, and I thank God for my wife because she was trying to calm me down in that situation. But, man, whew. Okay. Number three. If you are the offender, if you're the person who's caused conflicts and you realize that you are the source of the conflicts, be willing to go ask for forgiveness. Accept the error. Accept the error. Be willing to be humble. Be willing to be humble. You know, God opposes the problem. He gives grace to the humble. Be okay. Knowing that, you know what? We can come to God the Father the same exact way. I mean... In our time of prayer in the Lord, when we go to him, we should be able to lay down every single sin that we've committed that day knowingly and just give it to him, saying, Lord, I know I've offended you in this, 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 this manner. We should be able to do that to people that we know and love. You know why? 
because you're going to see them for eternity. Brother Joe, you're going to see me for eternity, bro. You know? And so we have to be willing to be able to go to the person and be like, you know what? Man, it was my fault. Because see, that's gospel culture. That's, 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 that's being willing to go accept your mistake and be able to confess your sin and say, this is how I sinned against you. Man, forgive me. Whether they forgive you or not, that's up to them. But you've done something that they will radically remember. Not very often do you have people come up to you asking for forgiveness for how they offended you. We normally want the apology. Be like, you messed up? Come on, pay up. I want to hear it. I want to see tears in your eyes. I want to hear it in your voice, right? Because if someone tells you, yeah, I'm sorry, forgive me, we don't want to believe that, right? We want a heartfelt tears coming down, a little bit of boogers coming down their nose. You know, I'm so sorry. You know, that's what we want. But that's not satisfying. It's not. It's better to forgive. It's to forgive. You know, um, when I was in the Dominican Republic, uh, I ran across uh, a pastor over there who we were able to talk to about certain things and certain issues and certain topics. And as we were talking about certain issues and topics, the topic of salvation came up. And so we, he began to ask me, and we began to talk about how salvation, how he believed salvation could be lost. And I, I told him, well, I don't believe that, and this is the reason why what Scripture teaches. But what I began to see was, is that this man was more married to religion than to God's word. And instead of me trying to go over there with a baseball bat with God's word or like a hammer and smash him down, I just began to hear his story. And I began to find out that he was actually raised in that religion to believe that. And he had seen that from his father. And now his son was doing the same thing. When people are married to religion versus the gospel, the gospel will always offend people. The gospel is offensive because it says to you and me that you can't. Let me say it like this. You know how in school, if you do good, you get an A, right? Or you get 100. You become an honor roll student. And at work, if you do best, do the best, and you keep performing, what happens? You get a promotion. You move up. We live in a performance-based world. And at the end of the day, we try to take that into our relationship with God. Now, I, I say this because this is what I'm trying to drive to. The next eight verses, seven verses that we're going to read, when Stephen is captured, he's captured by religious people who are more married to religion than to what God's word was teaching them. Because Stephen was pointing them to the prophets, to the Old Testament. He was showing them that everything was pointing to Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that in the text itself, but it implies it. And this is what I'm trying to say, family, is that when we come across people who are more married to religion and performance, the gospel is always going to offend because the gospel says, and you can't do it on your own, man. You can't. We need Jesus. So watch this. This is what happens when someone gets offended by the gospel. Verse 8. 
And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say, this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. When we stand as witnesses for Jesus in the face of conflict, we are going to see at times religious people will not like to hear the gospel. But we are not there to transform what they believe. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. We love those people, sit down with those people, have compassion, because I was once a performance-based religious believer at one point, thinking about it was about the good things that I needed to do to get to God. And I can openly confess that, and I'm able to have mercy and compassion upon those people that believe that. You know, too often in the scriptures, I think that we believe that Jesus had it out to destroy the Pharisees, when in reality, when he was teaching the Pharisees, he was wanting them to come to repentance as well. And so, us family, we need to be reminded that when we stand as witnesses for Jesus in the face of conflict, when we're talking with people who are stuck in religion, be patient. Continue to speak the word of God with them. You know, when we were the Dominican Republic, a lot of that culture is based on performance. And I shared this last week about this young man, but I shared again that he believed that he had to stop going to a Christian church because he couldn't wear a gold chain and earrings. That's how far it went. So I want to say this today for us, family, is that when we stand for Jesus, it might mean our life. It might mean that we might die standing for Jesus. Because as we're going to read next week, we're going to see how Stephen was stoned for standing for Jesus as a witness. He was doing all these signs and wonders, and he was talking to them about the law, and Moses. And I'm going to show you why. Go with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 24. Luke 24, verse 24. 
This is when the disciples are going down the road of Emmaus. And this is what verse 24 says. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that it was just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, he was explaining everything in the Old Testament was about me. Everything the law was, it was about me, about Jesus. It was all pointing to him. And so when we read this part in 8 through 15, these verses, we see that Stephen is doing the same thing. See, because what people don't understand, and, 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 and I myself learned this, they weren't calling Jews to leave the Jewish religion. They were saying, hey, listen. This, the beginning of the Jewish religion was the very beginning of Christianity. That's what it was. Everything that the law pointed to, the Levitical law, sacrificing the animals, the blood that was shed, all that was pointing was to a sacrificial system. That blood was required for the forgiveness of sins that you and I need today. It was all pointing to Jesus. And this is what Stephen is doing. He's proving to them through the scriptures from the Old Testament that everything was about Jesus. And so at the end of the day, I tell you this, family. Every person who has been transformed by this message of hope Every one of us who by faith have believed that, man, Jesus died for me. And by faith believe this promise, we are called to be witnesses. And I'm going to tell you something. It might cost you everything or some things. It might cost you your reputation. Because remember, Jesus made himself of no reputation. It cost Jesus his life. This message of the gospel is deadly. If the message of the gospel you know does not end with someone dying, then you don't know the gospel. The gospel requires death. That someone needed to die, and either it's going to be us or Jesus. So either we will accept the free gift of God that he's already given us, not wanting that anyone should perish, but that every single one of us come to repentance, knowing we cannot save ourselves, knowing we cannot earn our way to God, but we can be accepted, broken as we are. And he repairs, he fixes, he mends, he restores us to be used as a tool in his hand. And as a witness of Jesus, it may cost us everything. I'm reminded by the story of the young lady in Columbine. For y'all who remember Columbine, you remember the young lady who stood in the classroom and the gunman asked her, 
do you believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. Those are the last words she spoke because the next thing she heard was a gunshot and she died. Stephen, as we read now, was full of wisdom, the wisdom that only comes from God. The spirit, the only the Holy Spirit can give us. And he stood before his accusers and he debated with them and they could not withstand the wisdom with which he spoke. And the message he's going to speak next week as we read on is a message that will get him killed. The gospel message is deadly. It requires life. But when we lose our life, we find life. This world holds no promises, family. One day, every single one of us will be before God as a Lord and Savior, King, or a judge. He's called every one of us to turn. None of us are perfect, family. I'm always telling you how messed up I am from the front. And I'm not perfect. Marsha knows. Marsha goes to my house all the time. All right. I'm not perfect. Just because I'm up here doesn't make me more holy than anybody else. I don't, I, when I walk on, 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 on the ground, it's not light lights up in front of me. You know, it's not like that. I get mad like everybody else. But you know what I hold on to? It's not my own good works. Because, man, I have none to bring to God. But I don't hold on to his good works, his promises. And because he, because he who knew no sin and became sin for me, that we might become the righteousness of God, I hold on to that, that I'm righteous and holy because of Jesus. And that's all I want y'all to know, family, is that this life, what it's about, it's about standing as a witness to that truth, that it's not what you have to do to earn your way to God, but it's what God has done to come down in the form of man, to live amongst us, to breathe amongst us, to live amongst us, to die, and to be raised again to life. For us. He's done everything for us, family. So I finish with this. How can we stand as witnesses? Everyday life. It's just that simple. You stand as a witness for Jesus in everyday life. May it be at work. May it be when you're walking down the street. When the Lord opens the door for you to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus, man, you know what? Go for it. I'm not asking you to stop every five minutes to speak to somebody. I'm saying when God opens up a door, I'll give you another quick story and I'll, I'll be done with this. Uh, we were in Dominican Republic again. And um, man, I'm going to be real honest with y'all, man. Man, I'm going I'm to be real. Okay. Um, we went to a pharmacy because I wanted to buy some acne medicine for my, my, my acne. All right. And so we walk into this convenience store, but there are pharmacies. And we began to speak to the young ladies there because we saw this little track, but it was one of those watchtower tracks. So then I asked the young lady, I'm like, well, what do you believe about this? Well, she says, well, I'm a Christian. I said, okay, well, you know, what's the gospel? And she stopped and she says, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, how long have you been a Christian? She said, for several years, I think seven years. And I said, well, what's the gospel? And she's like, I don't know. 
I said, okay. And I began to share the gospel with them. And I said to them, I said, you see this medicine right here? If someone comes in and they ask for, for a, a medicine that they need or, or, or they have a problem and they tell you the problem and you tell them, hey, take this medicine twice a day. You need to take this medicine for you to get better. And I asked him, what happens if that person doesn't listen to what you told them to do? If you say, hey, listen, this thing, if you take it, will make you better. You're sick and you need this to be better. But if you take it. Now, if they don't take it, what's going to happen? They're not going to get better. And I said, you've heard the gospel. I told to the one young lady who didn't know the gospel. So you've heard the gospel today. By faith, you can receive Jesus and accept his promise. Like that prescription medicine. Will you take it? And she just stayed quiet. And that was it. That was the encounter that God offered to us to share the gospel, to be a witness at that one moment. That was a seven to ten minute conversation. God will open up doors for you to stand as a witness. So be bold. And the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that the apostles had, that same spirit is the same spirit that lives in every single follower of Jesus. As we're going through the book of Acts, we're seeing that power activated, moving, working. We have that same spirit, family. Every one of us. So let's pray for boldness. And let's pray that we can stand for witnesses as Jesus. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we've learned today, Lord, that, that in community, Lord, we will face conflict, Lord God. And not only will our brothers and sisters in the faith will offend us, Lord God, but even our everyday brothers and sisters that are blood brothers and sisters, or family members, or co-workers, or friends. Lord, help us, Lord, to forgive those who trespass against us. Help us, Lord, to resolve conflicts and to be those ministers of reconciliation that you've called us to be. To resolve, Lord, the issues, Lord, that come up, Lord. Knowing, Lord, that we, we aren't perfect, Lord, and we make mistakes. And let our hearts, Lord, know when we mess up, Lord, to be able to go to our brothers and sisters and say, man, you know what? I'm sorry, bro. What I said, I think, came across kind of hard and harsh. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Or, or lead us to those family members that we haven't spoken to in years. That we've been holding unforgiveness toward them. That person that hurt us, that broke our trust, be able to forgive them. Lord, we need of you, Lord, to do this work in our hearts, Lord. To remove that unforgiveness of cancer in our hearts, Lord. Help us to believe, Lord God, that 
that not only that you died for our sins, but you rose again for us to give us new life, to be able to share that same life with other people, to be those witnesses that you are alive, that you're seated at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for us, and that one day you will make all things new, removing every single tear from people's eyes, restoring that which was broken, Lord, in the Garden of Eden. Help us to stand as witnesses, Lord, to be able to share the hope, the hope of Christ that offers life. Help us to stand, Lord, as your witnesses, Lord. Empower us to be bold. I pray, Father God, that I pray, I pray that you would use every single person in this room, Lord, that's been transformed by your message, Lord God, that, that you would use them where they're at every single day of their life and that you would open doors for the gospel to be preached, to be spoken, to be spoken of and taught of, Lord. But that you would use every single one of these brothers and sisters as vessels, as instruments, as tools in your hands, O oh God, to make known the riches of your glory, of your grace, of your promises, that you're not wanting anyone perish, but everyone come to repentance. Faith in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be bold to speak. Help us not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to speak freely and boldly your name and stand for your truth, O oh God. And lead us, O oh God, to the cross when we fail again. Restore our hearts, Lord. When we fail, help us to stand every single day, Lord, knowing that you are enough. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.